everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, and tonight we are going to be not only talking about two decks that will for sure definitely be seen at Pro Tour Aether Revolt, but also about some unpopular opinions the Magic the Gathering community may hold and my thoughts on them. So before we begin, let's get on with some ads uh, really quick here. This episode is featured on LegitMTG.com. LegitMTG.com not only has some really well-written articles, but also offers free shipping on all orders over $2 or more. Ever get tired of going to other sites and just have to buy some cheap singles and shipping costs more than what you're buying? No more. Any order over $2 or more has free shipping at LegitMTG.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Horizon Datasys, makers of Rollback RX. Do you ever wish you could take your PC back in time and restore to your pristine state? Rollback RX not only allows you to bring your machine back to any point in time, but it's a great way to recover from a bad driver update, virus, or botched installation. Horizon Datasys doesn't tend to discount their product very often, as they know it's going to save you hundreds of dollars in recovering your PC, but for listeners of Magic Wazubi, they've provided us an exclusive discount. Visit https colon slash slash goo.gl slash capital D I capital B V A capital F for 25% off rollback RX. Uh, the Magic with Zuby podcast can be found on the following iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, MTGcast.com. If you wish to email Magic with Zuby with any questions, send us a message at mtgzuby at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Uh, Magic Wazubi is also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Magic as well as Twitter at Magic Wazubi. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Magic Wazubi YouTube channel. Just search for Magic Wazubi on YouTube. Uh, also, be sure to subscribe and review Magic Wazubi on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Magic Wazubi. Uh, if you become one of our patrons, you not only get a shout out on the podcast, but you also get, you can also unlock some other rewards there at the five, 10, or the five, 15, and $25 level. So be sure to check that out as well. All right. So, as I said before in the beginning of this, two decks that are for sure going to be seeing play at Pro Tour Aether Revolt. The first one that I wish to talk about is something that I have mentioned previously in other episodes, and that is my Trains deck. And before we get into it, you're probably going to be asking yourself, Trains, what do you mean? You know, there's already Mardu vehicles or red-white vehicles. It's really, really good. But you know what? This deck has a either has Gideon being the conductor or a giant mech wolf being the conductor. All right. So the deck of this, I mean, it is a little bit secret here, so I don't know if I really want to give it away, but for you, the listeners of magic with I will give this deck list away. Um, it is 24 planes, two declaration in stone four aerial modification four grip spoon. Um, Four Gideon Ally of Zendikar. As far as creatures go, four Toolcraft Exemplar, four Lupine Prototype, and then the stars of the deck. We've got two Eridara Express, four Renegade Frighter, four Untethered Express, which Untethered Express is the Dino Train. Dino Train's coming to town to wreck your day. And then we got four Peace Weaker Colossus. Peace Walker Colossus, my bad. 
So the thing with this deck that makes it great is not only by turn two you can get a 5-5 five, five out. I mean, yeah, Lupine Prototype can't attack or anything unless you have unless you or your opponent have no cards in hand, but it makes for a really great creature to crew any of these trains. And just in case you're not getting any creatures out and you get a Peace Week, I don't know why I keep saying Peace Weaker, Peace Walker Colossus out, you can use him to make one of your trains go by itself, you know, turn into an artifact creature, pretty much. Or aerial modification if you want to see a flying train. Or Grisboon, where you want to see a flying Guinean or a flying train. And Declaration and Stone for some removal, which, you know, I probably should remove, haha, and put in some more creatures. And, you know, I got to say, this is funny. So I've, I've literally built this deck as a complete joke. As, I mean, as you can tell. And, you know, it never fails people that when I start showcasing this deck as a joke, um, I put it in a thread in Reddit. And someone was asking, like, oh, you know, what's a funny joke deck I can, you know, bring to FNM? And I, I put, I linked this on here on my account. And, you know, uh, uh, it got good response. But, of course, there's people, you know, telling me and whispering me, like, well, why don't you just make it red-white? Why don't you put this card in it? You know, you could make it way better if you do this, this, or that. And it's like, I get it. I get it. Pe people have this tendency to want to make things better than what they see. They see flaws in something and they want to make it better. I get it. But it's like people are just downplaying, you know, oh, I even got some messages like, oh, this deck is terrible. You know, why don't you put X, Y, Z in it? It's like, dude, really? Or chick, really? Whatever. Um, and it's just like, really? This is, this is a complete joke. And you guys are telling me I need to do this, this or that to make it better. It's like, I get it. All right. I get it. I, first of all, I don't care about trying to make this better because that's not the point of this. It's, the point is not to make this deck better. It's a joke. And, you know, I'm really tempted to build this. Even though I said I'm done with standard, I'm really tempted to build this or build a red, white version, you know, sort of make it like red, white vehicles. But, you know, no, well, no, you can't do smugglers copter, no heart of Kieran or Sky Skiff, or I, I don't know what other popular vehicles there are right now, and just use these trains instead. I think it'd be pretty damn funny. All right. So um, I'll be sure to link this in the show, in the show notes or the description, just so you guys can see the amazing, awesome trains deck. And, and I promise you, you'll see this at Pro Tour Aether Revolt. And if you don't, then I'm sorry. I guess maybe the pros didn't want, you know, all the trains banned and standard. So that's why they didn't play it. And, you know, I, well, what can I say? You know, I mean, it's just too damn good. How, I mean, it's amazing to see a flying Gideon or a flying train coming at your face. You know, you, that's just something you cannot beat. All right. So another deck I wish to talk about a little bit here is something that you know uh we just had the star city games uh first standard event after aether revolt was open and it saw in play a very peculiar creature that not a lot of people were maybe thinking of when you know the set was spoiled and you may know what i'm talking about and that's the winding constrictor which is the black green snake 
if one or more counters would be placed on an artifact artifact or creature you control, that many of those counters plus one are placed on that permanent instead. If you would get one or more counters, you get that many of those counters plus one instead. And it's a 2-3 snake. So, you know, my awesome brain was contemplating of, well, why not we build a counter deck? Oh my gosh, no one ever thought of that. I mean, you didn't see it everywhere, but no, I wasn't really thinking about building a counter deck. I was thinking of, well, why not snakes on a plane? And sadly, very sadly, there's only in standard two legal snakes in standard right now. And that is Winding Constrictor and Noose Constrictor. Oh, excuse me. And so it's kind of hard to make snakes on a plane with just eight snakes. Um, And I mean, honestly, this deck probably could do something. I mean, completely untested. I mean, I you, I guess you could basically say it's the black green counters deck in a sense. Um, but I really just I tried to make it just snakes on a plane, and it has the four green wheel liberator, uh, four grim flare, four Narnum renegade, which is actually pretty dang good card for a one drop. Um, I could see that seeing playing modern honestly. Four noose constrictor, four winding constrictor, three Nissa. Voice of Zendikar, three Aether Sphere Harvester, three Heart of Karen, two Sky Sovereign Console flagship, boom, uh, three Fatal Push, three Grasp of Darkness, and twenty three lands, uh, four Blooming Marsh, nine Forest, two Foul Orchid, four Hissing Quagmire, and four Swamp. I mean, this deck isn't nearly as funny as the Trains one, but you know, it's it's kind of basically a a play off of the black green counters deck that was seen and um, the star city games event this past weekend. And I got to say walking ballista, is it walking ballista or walking B- Batista Batista, you know, the wrestler walking ballista, which is the new quote unquote hanger back Walker, not as good as hanger back Walker, but still not bad. And I mean, that thing has shot up in price like crazy. And I think I have some, too, that I pulled in my boxes. I just have to double check and see here. But like I said, um, I uh, honestly, I mean, not the snakes on a plane deck, even though it would be funny and awesome to see someone actually try to build just snakes on a plane and take it to a pro tour, which, by the way, it will be seen. And if it doesn't, it just means that, like I said, the pros don't want Winding Constrictor banned. I mean, we already got Reflector Mage banned. We don't need Winding Constrictor banned. We don't need more snakes banned. We need more snakes. Maybe when Amonkhet comes out, because when you think of Amonkhet, you know, Egyptian, um, snake people. Maybe, maybe there's like snake people on the plane. More snakes could be put in standard. And my dream of snakes on a plane can come true. I mean, that would just not only make me happy, I think it would fulfill my destiny of going back and playing standard again. And if that does happen, mark my words, if there are more snakes in Amonkhet, I'm going back to standard and making snakes on a plane. Boom. It's done. You heard that here on Magic Uzubi right now. Okay. So anyways, that like I was saying, that walking ballista card surprisingly was seen like pretty much all on camera throughout the weekend. And it turned out to be a much better card. And who knew, you know, that could be a good card. It's 
still kind of iffy about it costs four to put another one one counter on it but if you have that card and um winding constrictor you know you put two counters on it instead so for four for four mana you put two counters on it that's not bad and if you have like a gideon oh no not not gideon emblem um i'll have to take take a look at the list of what they were playing but it was pretty interesting um not too bad of a first standard showing and i mean God, the first day was nothing but the Sahili combo, and oh my gosh, that was a bore. That was a bore. But my buddy Todd Stevens did do pretty well, especially on the first day. But he, unfortunately, he didn't make it to the top eight in day two. But he did really well, though, and proud of him for doing it. He was playing the Just Guy Sahili deck, and you know, honestly, I just hope that that combo doesn't really take off, or it's more not not that prominent because i mean it's going to be uh, of course the first few weeks of this, this new standard it's going to be everywhere because people are going to try to think of the best list for it and yeah let's just hope that the pro tour is a little bit more diverse and not so sahili combo or yeah any of that crazy good stuff so let's get on to the meat of the episode here and that is unpopular opinions about magic and my thoughts on them um, there was a deck, or not a deck, uh, a, um, fuck, what do you call it? A thread, thread, yeah. Uh, I, I keep thinking like deck, oh, there was a deck on Reddit, no. A thread on Reddit, you know, called Unpopular Opinions, and it kind of blew up a little bit, I think, got over 700 plus comments, and um, I cherry-picked in there, cherry-picked, um, you know, the opinions that I wanted to talk about, and just my thoughts on them, and... And, I mean, a lot of them were repeated over and over and over again, and I just thought it'd be a fun little episode to talk about. I mean, a lot of the, not a lot, but some opinions in there I know I've talked about on the show, especially anything relating to Magic the Gathering Online, I've definitely have discussed. And I don't think I chose any Magic the Gathering Online because I'm sure you guys are sick to death of me talking about it. You know, all two of my listeners on here. So, all right, the first one, first unpopular opinion, and this opinion may be unpopular towards new players, and that is Planeswalkers should be gone. And let me just go back here a little bit. I first started playing Magic during Urza's, then I left after Nemesis. Yeah, I think, yeah, because I started in Urza's, and I played all the way through till Nemesis. And then I came back again during Kamigawa and Ravnica, then left again and came back during um, Innistrad. Yeah, Innistrad. Uh, it, I think M13 just came out, so it was like in between Innistrad and Return to Ravnica came back. And so when I came back to during Innistrad Ravnica, Return to Ravnica, you know, Planeswalkers were a thing. And at first, the idea of Planeswalkers were really, really cool. You know, as a casual player, you know, the thought of, hey, it's sort of like a second player is on your team, you know, instead of your opponent attacking you, taking your life total away, they take your Planeswalker's life total away or the loyalty counters. And it's it's a really cool idea. It's just what I feel has happened is they're just really pushing 
the Planeswalkers for every set that comes out, especially the bigger sets. Uh, the smaller sets, not so much because there's only usually about two to three Planeswalkers printed. But, I mean, just take a look at the past couple years. Um, Gideon, Ally of Zendikar is a really uh, good example how pushed that card is and how popular it is in Standard. Um, Liliana of the Veil is a good example. Jace, the Mind Sculptor. Um, I mean, you could look at what are some other popular Planeswalkers. Uh, Sarkon was really popular near in the very beginning. He was like a $20, $30 price tag. Um, Ugin is still a really popular Planeswalker. Karn. And <clears throat> it's what sort of detracts the game away for me is, I mean, when you already have a complicated enough board state, and you know you need to be able to remove these creatures or remove your opponent's creatures or take care of whatever they've got on their side of the board to be able to get at them and then when a planeswalker goes down it sort of becomes of well what do i pay attention to do i have enough to be able to kill my opponent in the next turn or two or do or do i really need to focus down on that planeswalker really depending on what it is and it does make for more complicated and sometimes fun games, but it I just get a little bit tired of them pushing Planeswalkers so much. And especially with the past few sets, I mean, it really feels like the Planeswalker template is really just the same thing over and over again. You know, plus one is their evade ability or protection ability or or no plus one is their draw card ability the negative the second one down could be their you know their evade ability to be able to protect themselves and then their emblem ultimate or whatever their ultimate does i mean of course some plan all planeswalkers not all but some planeswalkers don't fit that mold and they're they could be designed differently it's still they still feel very, very similar, and it's just. I mean, I mean, I, I know Wizards is never going to stop printing them, especially with the Planeswalker intro decks. Now, I mean, they're never going anywhere, but it would be interesting to see at least a standard rotate an, an entire rotation, maybe of them just not having Planeswalkers. I mean, maybe they could. I don't know, have a whole story arc where the gate watch completely loses their spark or something like when they go confront Nico Bolas, the Nico Bolas somehow learns to steal the planeswalker spark and takes it for themselves. And, you know, all the gate watch loses their uh, planeswalking abilities and they just become regular legendary creatures. And the only way they travel through planes is that planar bridge that Tezzeret built on Kaladesh. You know, I don't know, something like that. I mean, it, it would just, I mean, I know it probably wouldn't be that popular because everybody loves their Planeswalkers. Don't get me wrong. I love pulling a Planeswalker, especially in draft. It's an awesome feeling because not only is it that feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, I pulled a really awesome card. This could be worth a lot of money. And it's also cool of, oh man, this is a really great bomb and limited or sealed as well. And I love that feeling. Don't get me wrong. It's just, it'd just be really interesting to see what a whole standard rotation would look like without planeswalkers. It would, it would sort of be a callback to old school magic in a sense, because you're not really having to worry about planeswalkers. 
And you would just be worried about creatures and spells, which I, I know Planeswalker is a spell. So, yeah, I know. All right. So that was the first opinion. I, I go. I, I know I go a little long winded here at times, but you just got to deal with it. Uh, the next one, this next opinion, I pretty much just copy and pasted these. So the next one is Watsy should actively fight the secondary market by releasing attractive sealed products that reprint sought after cards. This is how you really hit the casual market. Make a past glory series of old top eight pro tour and grand prix decks expensive out of print board games get reprinted, but obviously brick and mortar stores don't suffer from it despite secondary market values tanking whenever it happens. This is something that I know I've talked about, not exactly fighting the secondary market, but that what that, especially about reprints that Watsy needs to do something to really fix not how oh man it sounds bad because no matter what you do prices are going to tank um but should Watsy really be concerned about that i mean i know it can lose confidence of quote-unquote magic investors but is that really who wizards wants to be catering to wizards should be catering to the players first and foremost, you know, they want to be catering to those people that want to play their game. And this is one of the things that I've always gotten, you know, a little sick of because I spend a lot of money in magic. All right. This is a hobby that, you know, I'm really, really into and anybody who, you know, gets into their hobbies, they spend money on it and it doesn't bother me that much to be able to spend two to 300 bucks on a deck if I really want it, you know, but for someone who is wanting to get into the game and wants to be competitive, but doesn't have the ability to be able to buy these cards, it's, it's really a downer because, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I have the money, but I don't really have the time. But for these younger people that, you know, don't really have that have the time, but don't really have the money sucks having to you know buy a tier one deck if that's if that's what they want to do because you know if you want to be competitive of course you want to have the best that's out there and you know what making an actual master series that prints sought after cards you know a modern masters or eternal masters where it prints the cards that are actually needed i mean they could do a quick data analysis and see uh, you know what what the whole meta is in you know modern and legacy and i i don't know frontier if that becomes a thing and see what you know the most played cards are when the last time they reprinted them you know what what the threshold is for reprinting them depending on how expensive they are in the secondary market and boom print them you know may, may get you know randomized packs i mean these masters sets what's frustrating with them is they're designed to be drafted, but I feel like they shouldn't be designed to be drafted. They're the reprint sets. Just, I, I don't know, just give a box of, you know, one of each card or something, you know? I mean, not every set that comes out should have to be designed for drafting. I love drafting. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, if they made just a master set, sort of like a from the vault where it's just 300, you know, cards and they're all reprints, I'd be happy with that. You know, I'd pay hundred bucks for that or something. And it's, I don't know, man, it, it's frustrating. And while I personally don't mind having to pay top dollar for the cards that I want, it's definitely 
definitely that barrier to entry for people who may want to get into modern or legacy. I mean, modern is getting more and more expensive. Uh, legacy is definitely getting expensive. I mean, vintage, forget about it. Legacy, it took me a whole year to get my elves deck. And that's just because, you know, the guy's cradles are what killed me. And I mean, I know elves themselves are not, isn't that expensive. It's mainly the lands, but that's what it is for a lot of legacy decks or just the lands are so expensive. <sighs> All right. So, oh, uh, they also mentioned making a past glory series of old top eight pro tour and grand prix decks. Yeah. Uh, what happened to that? They used to make those like championship decks. I know I have some, they have the gold border, and all that stuff, they used to, I mean, those would just be fun to play, casual, you know, make them 20 bucks at most, and I don't know, you get the top modern deck or whatever, you know, those, those have always been fun, I mean, I don't know what happened to them, I'm sure they just didn't sell that well and they stopped, but, you know, it's another way, and they could be really good use for proxies as well. Uh, the next opinion, proxies and fakes are fine since Wizard Wizards isn't doing enough to make the game have a more reasonable price. Thousands for one deck is absurd. Um, that is, I guess that's kind of similar to what the previous opinion was. Proxies and fakes are fine. Um, I mean, you can make the argument that when it's a sanctioned event, you know, there should be no fakes. It should all be real cards because the people have spent money to be able to play, you know, or, or to be able to build their deck, especially when it comes to modern or legacy. And those decks are pretty expensive. And I agree to that point that, you know, sanction events should all be real cards and proxies and fakes are fine in casual play. Um, I don't necessarily agree that they should be fine in sanction play. Um, I mean, when it comes to vintage and legacy, that's where I'm kind of like, I can understand both sides of the argument, you know, because especially the mana base, the mana base, the mana base is just getting so ridiculously expensive now. It's just give it a couple more years and there's not going to be any revised dual lands out there. I mean, there's not going to be a way to get the power nine out there, you know, unless wizards does something. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, I think proxies and fakes are fine in casual play, not in not in any sanctioned events. So the next one, removing core sets has only encouraged wizards to print less to print less reprints and has driven up the price of standard even more. Um, I agree that it has encouraged them to print less reprints. I don't know if I exactly agree that it's driven up the price of standard even more. Because anyone who's been through the cons and Battle for Zendikar uh, era of standard knows that when standard got up to seven, eight hundred bucks a deck, that was when it was ridiculously out of control. Um, if we look at a top tier standard deck right now, um, let's just go with uh, let's go with Black Green Delirium. Um, I'm just picking a random deck here, Black Green Delirium. And I'm just looking at MTG Top 8 right now. I mean, I don't even think this is updated to Aether Revolt, but here's just a regular Black Green Delirium. And, oh, it is updated to Aether Revolt. 
I think. Well, whatever, regardless. And it costs at most $380. Yes, that is expensive. Okay. But it's not anywhere near when it was freaking every deck had Jace Friends Prodigy and all the fetch lands. And it was nearing 800 bucks. That was where it got a little ridiculous. Um, look, Green Red Energy right now is running about 200 bucks. Now, I say that that two, 200 to 400 bucks isn't that expensive. It's still expensive. Trust me. Um, standard is still really expensive if you want to stay competitive with it. I mean, even modern and legacy are really expensive if you want to stay competitive with it. I'm not doubting that it's not expensive. It is. And that's one of the frustrating things to me that these pieces of cardboard are so expensive that the game's so fun. Just stop being fun. Well, no, not really. Um, and I mean, it does seem now that standard is a lot less expensive i mean but there's still all these quote-unquote pushed cards that are always going to be like 60 to 80 bucks for a playset. that's not fun to buy or purchase it's not i mean really an example i can think of if you're a new player is it going to be more fun to buy 80 dollars of cards and you only get four cards or $80 and you get a booster box. Yeah, you're not going to get all the cards you want, but you know, you're going to start at least a little bit of a collection if you buy that booster box. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I do agree. It is encouraging them to print less reprints. And I don't know if it's driven up the price of standard even more. It, I mean, right now it's about average that it's been two to 400 bucks. But it feels like it ha- it probably has driven up prices of older cards as well. The master masterpiece cards don't really do much to alleviate some of the more popular cards prices. It's just sort of like the the non masterpiece cards stay the same price, and the masterpiece the masterpieces just have their own price set. Um. All right. Here's another one. Master sets should also be at normal pack price. And at unlimited quality quantities, drafting it should be fun rather than having to rare draft to get your value out of it. This one I agree with that they should be normal pack price. And there should be larger print runs of it. They should have the same kind of print runs that a regular standard set should. Especially when they print good and good cards and needed cards that need to be need to be reprints. Um, you know, I think I mentioned this. I can't remember if I have, or maybe I was saying it to myself. I was watching a, a box opening of modern masters 2013, and there's a lot of good cards in it. And then you go and watch a box opening of modern masters 2015 and Holy crap, there's a lot of bad cards in it. Um, modern masters 2015 is an example of a bad reprint set. I mean, it had some cards that were needed, but the majority of like commons and uncommons were bad, bad wizards. It's bad wizards, you know? And I think here that they're right. He's right. Or they're right. That it should be a normal pack price. I don't know about unlimited quality quantities. I don't know. I keep saying qualities, but maybe, maybe the same as a standard print run, you know? 
And I agree with drafting. It should be fun rather than hoping that whatever rare you get gets the value, gets your value back because $10 a pack. That's ridiculous. It's honestly ridiculous. Um, here's a good one. Watsy is being irresponsible when it glamorizes the pro magic player lifestyle to encourage kids players to pursue it. Odds of becoming a well-known pro are like winning the lottery and even then you're still poor. I know I have talked about this in the past that pro players make absolutely nothing when it comes to money. Um, you know, the documentary film Enter the Battlefield when it showcased those pros, it was a real big eye opener that holy crap. As much as I would love to just play magic for a living, and I feel, as probably many people do, that if I could just focus on magic and I didn't have to worry about, you know, my job or career, that I could probably become pretty good at magic. And even then, you're not really making that much money at all. I mean, when I've seen some of just the tournament winnings of players and they've been playing for, you know, 10 years, it's just sort of like, wow. That's not a lot of money at all, man. And then, I mean, I can understand why there's so many pros that are also poker players as well, because you get you can make a lot more money playing poker than you could ever playing magic. And it also makes sense why a lot of magic players also stream, write content, do podcasts, uh, make YouTube videos because they need that supplemental income for it. Um, I mean, I'm not saying you know, being a pro player is bad. It's just if you're wanting a comfortable lifestyle and not having to worry about money so much, being a pro magic player is definitely not the kind of lifestyle you should pursue. Um, I mean, maybe it is more for younger people that have that support system behind them in order to be able to afford going to all these places you know, traveling across the country to become, to try and become a pro. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think I've got a lot more to say about that, but that's not what this whole episode is. I mean, in the end, if you can sustain yourself as a pro, all the more power to you. It's just, I agree with what this person's saying. It's, I mean, I don't know if it's really being irresponsible. It's just when they do try to glamorize it, it's they need to realize that, I mean, one, it can not be very fun. I mean, just watching that entering the battlefield movie, it really opened my eyes up to and it's just, yeah, it doesn't seem to be all that glamorous. Um, here's another one. Fetches should be banned or never printed. <laughs> I'm not sure what my thoughts are on that exactly. Fetches should be banned or never printed. Um, the thing with fetches is they definitely make mana bases a lot easier to build in a sense of it can be a lot easier to build three color mana base, even a four color mana base. If you know, depending, I mean, look at battle for Zendikar con standard. That was easily you can make, you know, four color mana bases. I mean, even in modern and in legacy, you could do four color mana base. I mean, most of the time it's not the best, but you still could. Three colors are extremely easy to do. Um, I mean, there, there was a lot of the a lot of these opinions going around that fetches should be banned or never printed. They slow the game down. They definitely do. 
um, you know, having to fetch, you know, get the cards you want, then shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Oh, like next turn, get a fetch, have crack it and shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Um, I mean, I saw someone make a really good, uh, a really good comment saying, well, have you ever watched people play Pokemon in real life? You know, pretty much turn one is nothing but them shuffling their entire deck over and over and over again. But I mean, those are completely different card games, but it's just another example. Um, but do I agree that they should be banned or never printed? I, it would be maybe if they were never printed, magic might be a little bit more linear or linear in terms of deck building because it would, there'd be there. What if, no, if we're talking about fetches just all together, not just the fetch lands, but evolving wilds and terramorphic expanse, if those were never printed either, like any kind of cards that fetched or any land cards that fetched for mana, if they were never printed or banned, then yeah, you'd probably see the majority would be nothing but two color decks. Very rare would you see a three color deck. And would should it be banned i don't know if i agree if it should be banned because then you're feeling very limited to what you can build as a deck um you know in whatever constructed format you want to do and even um man we may have never gotten the wedge sets you know we may have never gotten the cons cons of tarkir sets maybe because, I mean, even then in Constructed, it would have been really hard to get three colors. Um, and, yeah, we may have never gotten the Shards of Alara set either. I mean, I don't know. It's just a guess that we may have never gotten it. But, yeah, I don't know if I exactly agree that fetches should be banned or never printed. I've, to me, they're fine. They're sort of like a necessary thing that you need. Yes, it makes mana fixing a lot easier. But, I mean... If that's, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know. It's just to me, they're fine. I don't have any problems with them. Uh, the next one, the focus on new players has hurt magic more than it's helped. Despite the game being bigger and more accessible than ever. Modern masters and eternal masters print runs are too small to give in franchise players, a real expert mode experience. And it's super frustrating. So it's sort of two things here. Uh, the focus on new players and the the master's print runs being too small. I've already talked about the matter master's print run, so I'm not going to talk about that part. But the focus on new players has hurt Magic more than it's helped, despite the game being bigger and more accessible than ever. Um, I have talked similar topics before on the podcast that, especially with how they're pushing these cards, like, um, like how they're not printing very good non-creature spells and that they're not printing good instance or at least, you know, we don't have a lightning strike anymore. Um, we don't have, you know, really good instant removal. I mean, Aether Revolt printed some good instant removal right now, you know, fatal push. We got shock back. I mean, it's, it's sad that I'm happy we got shock back. I'd, I'd take lightning strike over shock but i mean we'll take what we can get and it's 
I do agree to the point that they are trying their best to make magic at least not as complicated as it was. Um, I mean, it's still a really complicated game. Don't get me wrong. Matt, there's still times I'll play a game of magic and, you know, something on the stack will confuse me or, you know, just, just a certain interaction would be like, wait, is that how it works? Or is it, you know, is this how it's done? And, but I mean, to a new player, man, I can't imagine it. I mean, I can try to imagine it, but it's, but is has it hurt it? It's, um, it's probably really only hurt the enfranchised players that they're seeing the game devolve into mid range decks. Um, not that mid range wasn't ever a thing back in the day and not that games ever didn't never went past turn four or five back in the day. It was just, I guess the archetypes were a little bit more clearly defined back then. If, that kind of makes sense um because now especially in standard it just really feels and especially in limited too whoever can clog up the board wins and you know whoever gets their creatures out wins and you know i, I mean with hearthstone as popular as it is it's not a surprise that they're not exactly emulating hearthstone but they're focusing more and more on creatures more than anything, more threats, I guess you can say. And, you know, who knows what they've got down the pipeline. I mean, Sam Stoddard mentioned wanting to print more answers than threats or not print, but having the answers be stronger than the threats, you know, because he did say the pendulum towards threats has gone too much and the pendulum towards answers has gotten away. So, I mean, maybe in the next few sets, like maybe after the Amonkhet set, the answers will get better and we'll get, get to see more clearly defined archetypes. Like burn is not a thing right now. Um, aggro, aggro is always going to be a thing, but control control is, I mean, control of what we remember back in the day is pretty much gone. Um, but I mean, is it really a surprise that Watsy is trying to focus on new players? It's not. Um, I mean, look at something like Magic Duels. That's pretty much for new players all around. And with them getting rid of, hopefully getting rid of Magic Online, you know, and them going towards like a mix of Magic Duels and Magic Online and making this Magic Next, you know, that that will definitely be geared towards new players. I can see them just having standard and draft in it for a while until they get the newer or not newer, but the older formats in there. Um, like I said, I already commented on the masters and eternal masters print runs before. So here's an interesting one. Making all pro tours standard limited is going to hurt viewership. I understand not wanting to broadcast the same legacy or modern meta year after year which is a crazy thought since those formats do change. But maybe that has more to do with Watsi and Star City Games showing us the same 30 to 40 players for every feature match for every major event. You know what's often more interesting? You know what's often more interesting than Reed versus Owen going 
for 10 and 0 versus 9 and 1 for the 50th time in the last five years. Two dudes stuck at six and three, struggling to stay mathematically in contention during one of their first PTs. Who cares if I don't know them by name? Now, there are two sides to this. Um, and I'll sort of bring StarCraft 2 into this as well, because there's a reason why they show the same players over and over again. Not only have they become really popular with the community, they draw in viewers as well. I used to feel the same way, not only with Magic, but with StarCraft. Um, when, when StarCraft 2 first was really, really popular with Wings of Liberty, um, and before the Koreans ever started really adopting StarCraft 2, you know, there was a lot of popular Americans, a lot of popular Europeans, South Americans, you know, you name it. And the, the, those were the ones they always showed on the matches, the MLGs, the uh, North American Star League, uh, the I, was it ISL or the IGN, the IGN one. And, um, you know, they would always show the really popular players. They would never really show, not that they wouldn't show them, but they not that they wouldn't show the players that may be doing better or maybe not doing as well. It's just the popular players bring in the viewers. Um, and it would always frustrate me, especially when the Koreans started dominating StarCraft 2. While, and that was what was frustrating for me as the Koreans, who, who, whichever ones they were, they were phenomenally good at StarCraft. It would just be frustrating that they had no personality. So if they won or lost, you know, since you didn't really know who they were as a person, it was hard to care about it. So this that sort of related to what this person is talking about with their opinion. Why keep showing, you know, Reed Duke and Owen Turtenwald over, you know, two guys, two random guys that are stuck at six and three struggling to stay in the pro tour because the two random people will not draw in viewers, even though those two random people may be better players than Reed and Owen. They're not bringing in viewers. What Watsy knows. And I mean, any company like any esport company or any sports company knows that when your popular players are the one drawing in the viewers, they're going to showcase some more because that's what people are, you know, watching for. They're not watching for, you know, random person number one and random person number two to play magic or play Starcraft or play League of Legends. They don't care. People do want to see their favorite players. Um, I don't agree with this at all. Um, that showcasing non-popular players. I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, yeah, if the, if the non-popular player is going nine and one or 10 and O or whatever it is, showcase them. Yeah. If they're doing that good and you know, they're not a popular player show them, you know, doesn't matter to me. I mean, they're doing really good. I don't want to see someone who's, you know, who's probably going to drop and lose because that's not exciting. Um, it's more exciting seeing that person who has a perfect win streak than it is someone who is, you know, is most likely going to drop the tournament. Um, as far as making all Pro Tours standard and limited, um, I think a lot of people forget that Pro Tour is the promotional tour. Even though it is, you know, one of the top tournaments for Magic playing, um, they're always going to showcase their latest sets and especially the last modern pro tour really showcased how those pro players warped the modern meta. 
Um, do I think something like Eldrazi Winter could happen again? Yup, I think it could happen again. Um, I mean, would I want to see a modern Pro Tour? Sure, yeah, I'd love to see one. Um, I don't think it's going to happen though, and I can understand why because. I mean, you got to think about it from Watsy's point of view. Modern doesn't sell sets. Modern doesn't sell booster boxes. Standard does. And, you know, when there's enjoyable standard decks out there, it'll sell more booster packs and booster boxes. Um, the only thing I agree with that is showcasing limited. Limited, as much as I love draft, it is so boring to watch. It is ridiculously boring to watch. I mean... I mean, I, I could be really into a drafting format, but I don't really care what, you know, player XYZ picks for their fifth pick or their 10th pick. And I'm just like, and then watching, watching when, after they build the decks and watching them play, it's even, that's not that exciting because it's just draft chaff that they're playing. I mean, they can be really interesting games, but they're not going to be anywhere near as interesting as a constructed deck. And I feel like if they got rid of limited for the pro tour, I would not mind that much, you know? All right. So that was a big, um, you know, big thing to say, I guess. I don't know. Uh, magic duels is the way more enjoyable form of playing digital magic, as well as being a lot cheaper. I completely agree. It is way cheaper. If you want to, if you want to buy a set, the whole magic duel set, um, it's what 80 booster packs per set, I think, or, or maybe some of the smaller ones are less. I, I remember like origins and battle for Zendikar were like 80 booster packs. And what's good about magic duels is when you buy a booster pack, you cannot get, um, doubles of what you already have. Like once you get the four commons of that card, you'll never get that card again because you already have it unlocked. Um, is it the more enjoyable form of playing digital magic? The one thing it does better is, I mean, of course, it looks way better. Um, the one thing I really enjoyed, the only time I really play Magic Duels now is when a new set comes out and I just play the story mode of it because it makes it a real easy way to digest of what's happening in the set instead of having to read the story because the stories can be a little bit convoluted and... I, the magic duels just really showcases the important plot points of the set. And I feel like that's pretty much all you need to know. Um, yeah. I mean, is it more enjoyable? Eh, I mean, that that's a really subjective opinion. Um, it can be. I mean, I have made some crazy decks on there, but it, the deck restriction of, you know, only having one mythic or one rare or two rares, that really kills it for me. All right. This next one. It's always going to be a little bit contentious. And depending on who you talk to, it's going to be a little bit contentious. Magic is pay to win and too expensive in general. It is too expensive. Is it pay to win, though? No. Um. Now, there could be some examples of agreeing yes it is pay to win because if you spend two to three hundred bucks on a deck and you're going up against a person who you know just bought an intro deck and is trying to play fnm you you with the person who has the two to three hundred constructed tier one deck have a much better chance of winning the game 
than the person who just bought an intro deck and is trying to play. Um, that's not to say the person with the intro deck can't beat you because there is such thing as mana screw or mana flood. You know, variance does happen, but it does make the perceived notion that magic is pay to win to the person who only spent 15 bucks on an intro deck. Um, and that goes on to the whole net deckers versus home brewers type um, argument that does tend to happen. And do I agree that it's pay to win? No, because I know I have brought, you know, my tier one deck to standard night before and have gotten wrecked by a, you know, $30 homebrew. It's, it does happen. I mean, that $30 homebrew could be full of cards that I had no answers to because I wasn't expecting it at all. I was expecting meta decks. I mean, I know it's happened, but it's, I mean, you do still have a better chance, but there's always going to be that one person that brews up something crazy. And like I said, I don't exactly believe it's pay to win. It's pay to have you have a better chance of winning. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, this is another one I agree with, uh, pretty well. And it's, it's really prominent, not only on Reddit, but Twitter and I, maybe even Facebook. I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not really a part of a lot of Facebook groups for magic, but Watsy should be held to greater account for its errors. Reddit exclusive spoilers and a community management team are no substitute for accountability, but people see the latest and greatest shiny new thing and all is forgiven. Apparently not only does that happen with Watsy, but it happens to a lot of game companies on um, blizzard, Ubisoft, Activision, um, riot, uh, valve, you know, that happens with a lot of companies. Apple could be a great one. Great example. Microsoft, um, that, you know, wizards will do something bad and, you know, there's all this complaining about wizards and, you know, oh, you know, they can't do X, Y, Z. And then, oh, look, a brand new, brand new card or a brand new set. Like, oh, wizards is the best. Wizards is the best. I mean, I've seen it in many other game communities as well, where, you know, oh, Blizzard doesn't know how, what they're doing with World of Warcraft. And, oh, look, new patch for World of Warcraft. Oh, they're the best. They're the best. You know, it's people's memories can be very short sometimes. And I agree that there needs to be accountability for that type of thing. Um, and it, it does happen. It's, it's sort of what can be frustrating is don't get me wrong. I love magic. I think wizards is doing the best they can as a company, but when there's all this blind faith or this blind love in a company that it can do no wrong, it's sort of like, I mean, come on, it's just a card game in the end and they're just a company and their number one motive as a company is to make money. If you think otherwise, then, you know, I'm sorry if any company's number one priority is to make money to sustain themselves. And that's just what Watsi is. They're a comp, they're a corporate company to make money off you. And if you don't think that they ever screw up or, you know, there's, there shouldn't be any accountability, then that's just kind of twisted thinking, I think. Um, but I agree that they should be held, I don't know, to greater account, but I think there should be more accountability for it instead of just, ooh, look, spoiler, card, oh, oh, all is forgiven. I mean, 
like I said, that, that's not just Watsy. That happens to a lot of companies. It's, it, it's everywhere. Pe- people will forget. I mean, happens all the time. All right, this one, this last one here, before I go, I'm sure you're sick of me rambling on at this point. Um, I'm sure my wife, who's outside right now hearing me ramble on, is probably sick of me rambling on. And this last one I felt was pretty funny. And it was, I, I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but I've done it. I'm starting to do it with my decks now. And it's to try to trigger people with it because, um, let me just read it. Let me just read it. I prefer white border cards. Almost everyone I tell this to laughs at me, and I believe that they are not expressing an aesthetic preference so much as repeating a meme that originated with the fact that white border cards were cheaper. In other words, the flaming is sort of classism. All right. I have been purposely, especially whenever I go to a competitive REL event, purposely getting white border land cards whenever I can and making sure they purpose purposefully not match um you know there was that article that uh louis scott scott vargas uh released was a couple months ago talking about oh you know these are the best kind of lands to use these are the worst kind of lands to use and i kind of took that to heart was like all right next time i go to a pptq iq or open or whatever i'm gonna use the white border cards and not even have a match just see if i could trigger anybody and have anybody comment i think i've had one person comment so far and I don't even remember what was said or whatever. And it's just, I, I want them to get a little like irked because it, it's always, it's always kind of fascinated me how, you know, people will think that's a big deal. It's like, they're just mana cards or they're just land cards. It's, if I, it almost makes me want to um, get, especially, Oh man, if I had my legacy elves deck altered every card with a white border, Oh, <gasps> Oh man, that would be hilarious. I don't think I'd have that done, but it'd be hilarious. Maybe, maybe like a crappy modern deck or something, have it all white bordered. It's just, I don't know. It, I just found that one funny and it instantly reminded me of that. I try to get all white border land cards now. Um, yeah. And that was the last opinion I wanted to talk about. Um, I, I, I just thought it'd be a fun little topic to talk about and, some of them I want I have talked about on the podcast before. Some of them I haven't talked about, and I just thought maybe given some of my opinions on them be fun. And yeah, so there you have it. Um, I'm still working on that popper episode. All right, so the the popper episode is an episode I have to talk about that was a topic brought up by one of my patrons who said I have to talk about it since um that's one of the rewards that gets unlocked you get to choose the topic for an episode so yeah it may not have come out this week but i promise it's coming out all right i'm working on it all right <laughs> you i will be talking about popper so to my two listeners out there stay tuned for some popper and thank you for listening to my show as always send me an email uh, if you just want to chit chat uh, you know any kind of complaints or whatever i'll read them out on the air and I said, thank you for listening to me ramble. It's been fun. It's been real. But I am actually going to go to bed now, read my book. I've actually been reading the Dragonlance series again. Um, I'm on Dragons of Autumn, not Autumn, Winter Night, I think. Um, Yeah, it's, I don't, that book's kind of confusing me a little bit because I'm at the part where 
uh, they get to the island with the elves. They're trying to get the dragon orb to Sandcrest. And Gilthanus you know, falls in love with one of the Kaganesti elves, Sylvan or Silvara, who's, I don't know, some druid elf. And Lorana, is it Lo- Lorana? Yeah, I guess that's how you say her name, is leading the pack of Sturm and Derek and Tass and Flint. But what confused the hell out of me, all right, if anyone's listening past this part, this is, this is about Dragonlance now. This isn't about wizards or this isn't about magic. I mean, if it completely confused the hell out of me. All right. So they go to the town of Tarsus. It gets attacked by the red dragons. And I thought at one point when they were getting attacked that Sturm, um, Sturm and like Flint and Tass were completely separated from the group. And that, Alhana, not 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 Alhana, but Derek and the other um, knights of Salam Salamnia or Salamnia took them away, and that Tannis, Rat Raslin, Caraman, um, Goldmoon, and Riverwind were stuck underneath the inn, and then Alhana Starbreeze takes them out and flies them off to Sylvanesti. And then during the whole Sylvanesti, the Emerald Nightmare type scenario, it's like Sturm and Lorana and all of them just suddenly reappear. And I'm like, I'm so confused at what's happening right now. I thought they were over by the ice wall getting the Dragonlance hilt and the other Dragon Orb. I'm so confused. And then they just like leave. And I don't fucking know. I, if anyone knows, send me a line because it confused the hell out of me. Maybe I need to go back and read it. It's like I read it, but I do read pretty fast. Um, and so maybe I skipped over something and didn't realize it. I don't know, but yeah, it confused me. Um, see, I'm reading Dragonlance and you know, like I said, I don't even know why I'm still talking. Why are you still listening to this? All right. Thanks guys for listening and have a great one.
on Whiskey's somehow better when you're naked on the lawn Whiskey riding ready, the mood never sours Whiskey on my bread, keep me fresh for hours Whiskey like a yellow, never let me down Just like my shotgun when I put her down Whiskey is a question, correct me if I'm wrong Wasn't there a woman at the beginning of the song? Don't leave me alone and I'm straight